Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. This morning, our power went out in our house. I don't know if any of you guys' power went out, but like thousands of customers lost their power right when we were settling down for breakfast. We had waffles and eggs out, and then the power went out. I was like, no, I didn't have my coffee. And the reason I share this is because it actually ties into my message today that we want our circumstances to go a certain way. And even in the simple mundane things, like having power to run your waffle maker, God God lets us know that, you know, you know what, I'm sovereign, and I'm in control. And when things don't happen, just because things don't happen the way you want them to go, doesn't mean that I'm not in control, it doesn't mean that I'm not good, and it doesn't mean that I, have, that I don't have good plans in store for you. So that'll tie in with today's message, because oftentimes we question God, and we don't like it when circumstances do not go according to our way. We're going to see how all that plays out today. My church is going through Genesis. We started off in Genesis 1 about a month or two ago, and I may be preaching through Genesis for 10 more years. It's such a long book. But we're in Genesis 12 right now. We're starting the Abraham story. And so I thought I would share that same word with you today where we're at in our church because it's a very powerful and applicable word for our life. So... Let's open our Bibles if you have them, or the words will be up on the screen. Let's open to Genesis 12, and we're going to start in verse 10. And this is the beginning of the Abraham story. Uh, If you don't remember where that is, Abraham was just minding his own business, and one day God spoke into his life somehow and said, Abraham, go to the land that I will send you. He's like, okay, God, I'll do that. I'll uproot my wife. I'll uproot my nephew and his family and all my herds and my workers, and we're just going to move. And we don't even know where you're sending us to go, but we're going to go there by faith. So uh, that's where we're at. And Abraham is on his way into the promised land. That's where God wants him to go into um, Israel. So that's where we pick up our story. So we're going to read Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20. I have the ESV translation, and you can pick up the words up on the screen as well. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a beautiful woman in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they'll kill me, but they will let you live. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Excuse me. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, 
Here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Okay, this is a pretty interesting narrative, isn't it? We read in the first part, um, you know, in God's Word, we read through narrative like this. This is a story, or whether we're reading like theological stuff out of the epistles. And a lot of times, God repeats things. He repeats words or phrases. And that's a clue to us. He wants us to key in on those things and kind of figure out, okay, that's an important clue. You know, I, something important is going on when I see something. And in these first few verses, God, uh, the Bible says here that there's a famine in the land. He says it twice. So there's a famine in this part of the land. Is that bad? Is that a bad thing when there's a famine? <laughs> it is really bad, especially back then, 3,000 years ago. There's no global logistics there's no places where anybody can go get food. When there's, no, when there's a famine, there's no rain, there's no crops. People die. It's really bad. So everybody in this part of the world, this is over by uh, where Israel is and ancient Near East, they knew, okay, Egypt is a good place to go. There's the Nile River. You know, there's always, like, it's always green. There's always water. We'll go there because there's a better chance to live. That's what Abraham thinks. So they, he picks up his wife and his nephew and all their entourage, animals and goat herders, and they're all heading over to Egypt now. They've uprooted their life. They've changed course. They're heading over to Egypt. Have any of you had your circumstances changed to the point where you've had to leave where you live and move somewhere because of a job change or something else happened? Against your will. Has that ever happened to you? Or have you just maybe just changed jobs or moved places in general? Is that like a tad bit stressful, or is it like, it's, it's a little stressful, isn't it, to have to move beyond your will? Um, and in all that, in Abraham's life and in our life, God tells us, you know what? Things are changing. You're not in control. I'm in control. Walk forward by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7 tells us, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Hmm. Well, let's see how Abraham responds to this. And try to put yourself in Abraham's shoes as we read through this narrative again. How does Abraham respond to a change in his circumstances? So we're down in verse 11 now, if you're following along in your Bibles. It's a 250-mile journey from the promised land over to Egypt on foot. So Abraham, he's, well, he's called Abram now, Abram. He's got a lot of time to think about it. You know, he's on his camel and he's thinking, oh, my goodness, all right, I'm going into Egypt. Everybody's different. I know, I know, I know that, like, the rulers in Egypt, they, like, they're male, they're guys, they collect wives and concubines as trophies. Like, they just amass lots of wives. And he looks over at Sarah, and he's like, she's 65, but she's still pretty stunning. You know, if I must admit so myself. So they're going to grab Sarah. Oh, my gosh, what do I do to get out of this conundrum? You get out of this problem. In his paralysis of analysis, he thinks, they're going to take my wife. They're going to kill me. They're going to take all my goats. It's bad for me. Me, 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 me. In this circumstances of change in his life, he's only thinking selfishly. He's not thinking about what God's doing. He's just thinking about, how is this going to hurt me? So he decides, all right, I'm going to have to lie to get out of this. He's under this false assumption, and oftentimes we put ourselves in a false assumption that given the circumstances in my life, 
I have no choice but to do what benefits me, that my circumstances only dictate my actions. Like, I have to make a choice that benefits me, irregardless of perhaps a promise that God has made to me or a command that God has given to me in the Bible that goes contrary. If I do those, if I trust him or if I do this thing, it's going to run contrary to what I think is good for me. God always puts us in situations like that. But what does Abraham do like a lot of us? He uh, conspires to do something that benefits him, at least he thinks, contrary to God's word, contrary to God's promises. He conspires to lie. He goes, hey, hey, Sarah, tell Pharaoh you're my sister. Okay, she does it. And you could see the selfishness just permeating through this decision. I mean, he just wants to protect himself. Evidently, he could care less whether his wife, you know, ends up with another guy. Like, I'm okay with that, just so long as, you know, I keep my stuff. And sure enough, Pharaoh takes, so this is, hold on. So Pharaoh takes Sarai, sure enough, adds her to his collection. And then he compensates Abram, like, ridiculously, like, gives him all these herds. He turns him into an overnight multimillionaire. It's like, wait a minute. He's got all these servants. He's lost his wife. He's happy with the outcome, probably. He's a multimillionaire, like I said, by today's society. We just got to stop and say, this is a truly unusual passage. This is like, this is like a very strange situation that God has his people in. Everybody in this passage is morally ambiguous. What they decide to do is right is what benefits them. You know, Abram, we already went over that. Pharaoh, you know, this is not right to to take somebody else's wife. And and it's not right to have a whole collection of wives by that, you know, similarly. But he's doing it anyway. Everybody's doing what's right by them. And Abraham, he's like he's acting unfaithful, but then he gets blessed, quote-unquote, with all this new property and money. It's like, what does this mean for us? This is a truly strange passage. Well, here's what I think as I've read through this and prayed through this passage. This is what I think the big message is that God wants us to know for our lives today. The big idea for this passage is that God continually tests our faith, not to show how weak our faith is, but to show how faithful he is to us in our weakness, right? We, Terry was just singing about that, the unrelenting, you know, mind-boggling, audacious love of God, or however the lyrics went. I can't remember how it went, but it's something like that, right? It's like God's faithfulness is just mind-blowing. He will test us continually. He will change the circumstances of your life, make the circumstances of your life very unpalatable, Not to show how weak our faith is, but to show how faithful he is to us in our weakness. One of the things we got to understand is that famines in this passage, um, worldwide change, uh, you know, uh, political change, uh, social change in our country's lives, even all the way down events down to the mundane little things in your life like our power going out this morning, everything is orchestrated by God. Nothing, there is no circumstance, no event that does not happen unless God wills it. Ephesians 1.11 says God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Wow. God is sovereign. 
that's the, the undeniable truth that is, on one hand, kind of eye-opening and chilling, but it's also very comforting to us to know that a good and wonderful God is in control of everything. Psalm 145.7 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Nothing in the universe happens unless God allows it to, including the mundane things that happen in your life. Now, let me ask you this question. Let's personalize this now. Let's personalize what's going on. Has God altered the circumstances in your life right now to the point where on some level you're struggling? You know, maybe you're struggling emotionally. I mean, just trying to come to grips with the reality of your life. Maybe you're struggling physically with the way things are. Um, financially, of course, we all feel that pressure living in the barrier. Maybe your relationship has changed. Whatever it is, uh, your relationship is strained in your life. Whatever it is, has circumstances changed beyond your control, just like Abram, to the point where you're struggling? You have, you know, some kind of struggle. All right, I know I'm the only person. I'll raise my hand. I'm the only person going through that right now. So th- I'm, just speak- I'm just preaching to myself right now. <laughs> All of us, right? And, 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 and how does our prayers go in the middle of that? God, uh, something like this. Maybe not exactly like this, but God, take my pain away. Take my problem away. Give me back the comfort that I want. Give me back the easy, controllable life that I so desperately desire. Right? That's, that's not exactly what we pray, but that's essentially what we pray. Sometimes God will just like that, change your circumstances and make your life nice and easy again. Sometimes he does. But I've found in my life that day in and day out, week by week, month by month, that's not what he does usually. I've discovered that more often than not, he allows difficult circumstances for a good purpose. Remember, God is sovereign, yes, but at the same time, in your struggle, God is good. God is good. And he loves you infinitely. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. I mean, unconditional, self-sacrificial love. I mean, we sang about it. Psalm 136, 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I mean, we just need to let those truths soak in, in our minds and, like, change the reality of how we perceive our circumstances of, the t- of today. Even circumstances we don't like. Every day I leave for work in the morning. Oh, I'm bivocational, by the way. I, I'm a church planner, as Dino said. And in the morning I work in IT. So I do IT work uh, and then I do ministry work. I split my time. And in the morning I leave for IT work. And every morning, Jeremiah and Jocelyn, not so much nowadays, but you know, when they were really small, they would just they just weren't having it. They just get all bent out of shape every time. No, you can't go to work. Eh. Every morning I had to deal with it. I had to push through them and push them away just to get out the front door. Um, and Jeremiah, sometimes he, he would block the door. Like, you're not leaving, Dad. And one day he got all up in me like this, and he said, you're not going anymore to work on computers, and, and you can't be a pastor anymore. You're just going to stay home today and play Legos with me all day long. You just quit your job. 
you're just going to play Legos with me. Like, and um, wouldn't that be the best life? And, and he loves Cheetos. That's another thing he wanted. So quit, quit working, quit pastoring, and just play Legos and eat Cheetos, all those crunchy Cheetos. This is, this is his idea of the best life possible. You know, and so um, I know better, right? I mean, I got, a, I got a calling. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I got to earn money to, to pay bills and so on and so forth. Um, and, and you can see, right, this is an honest, genuine appeal from his heart, an honest request with all his heart, right? But I know better. I know better about life. I heard his request. I heard everything he asked. But I didn't grant his request. Obviously, I can't do stuff like that. Why? Because I know more about life than he does, don't I? And I found God is like that. You know, he hears our earnest requests about life. And he loves us. I love Jeremiah. I want what's best for him. But I know more about life than he does. And God knows more about life than we do. And... We know that we, he loves us. We know that he's in control. We know that through these challenges, he's accomplishing good. And he's our heavenly father. He promises us grace. He promises to change us, to become more like Christ through our struggles. Your struggles do not mean that God is angry at you. They don't mean that he doesn't love you. They don't mean that he's not your father. Quite the contrary. Instead of, and sometimes I do this, maybe you do this, I'm kind of angry at you, God, that my life isn't happy and you're not granting my prayers exactly the way I want. I, I do that sometimes, even Pastor Lee. I mean, I think we all do that. But instead of resenting God, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we become like Christ, completely surrendering. I mean, the fact that we have anxiety means we have zero control over our circumstance. That's why we're feeling anxiety. And Christ, I don't think when he was on this life, I'm sorry, when he was on the earth, I don't think he felt anxiety the way we do. I think he completely surrendered his future over to, to the Father. And he did, in fact. And in his greatest moment of desperation in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say? Father, if there's any other way we can get this done, let's take that option. But not my will, your will be done, right? Complete surrender. This is the whole purpose as to why God has altered the circumstances of your life in the first place, to get to that point where you can say, not my will, but your will be done. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Listen, through the pain of your circumstances, God is making you into something beautiful. He has a beautiful purpose for that. And it's not to make you beautiful, although we are quite beautiful in this room, I have to admit. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Lord. Lord. What is beautiful about us is that he's making us more to be like Christ through our suffering. That's what's beautiful. So as hard as this is to listen to, in fact, you know, I'm having trouble hearing my own sermon, embrace suffering as a way to know Jesus Christ more and to become more like him. 
Walk by faith through your pain. Jesus Christ humbly embraced the pain of death so that he could earn our forgiveness on the cross for our sins. He endured God's wrath for our sins, and he stayed faithful to God. He suffered for us, and out of gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done for us, can we not endure the circumstances that God has sovereignly ordained for us to go through by faith, with joy, thanking him for all things, moving forward by faith as Christ moved forward by faith in his struggle. Remember, God tests our faith not to show how weak our faith is, but to show how faithful he is in our weakness. See, we, I think, really, we all want to be faithful to God. I really want to. I know you guys do. We want to trust him. We want to live for Christ. The problem is, by default, we're selfish. We're, each one of us are sinners. Wretched sinners, the Bible says. Whoa, don't be calling me no wretched sinner. Wait, yes, what the Bible says. It's true. We think selfishly. We obey the desires of our flesh, not what God wants them to do, us to do. Abraham was thinking only of himself. I think we would have done the same thing in his shoes, right? He, he was willing to risk his wife's safety for his own selfish gain. Um, so he kind of blew up his horizontal relationship with his wife. He's got a lot of explaining to do, right? <laughs> this the whole thing's over. But even worse than that, the horizontal brokenness in the relationship is the vertical relationship between him and God. That's the number one problem. You see, if you remember the Abraham story, God gave him a promise. Just earlier in, in chapter 12, we're, we, we're not going to go over it right now, but God said, went up to Abraham and made him this unconditional promise. I'm going to make a nation out of you, Abraham. Yeah, you're 75, I think he was at this time. Your wife is 65. She's postmenopausal, well past childbearing years, but she's going to have a child, at least one, and they're going to, that children's going to have children, it's going to multiply into this big old nation. That should give Abram some confidence that, I don't know how this is going to work out. I mean, Pharaoh wants my wife, but I'm just going to trust that God's going to bring us through, because he said I'm going to have a nation. And he doubted God's promise in his life. And he fears a human being more than he fears God. And God put him in this situation. Like Abram, God will change our circumstances. That's called testing. To test your faith so it grows. Testing. You know, worry about the future. Relational struggles. Whatever your problem is that I ask you to think about. That's called testing. God is testing you. Now, wait a minute. Pastor Lee. We think of testing as a school situation, right? Um, we, we get tested, and, and if you don't study, you fail. You're a loser. You failed. Okay, that's not, that's our, what we think of when we think of testing. That's not how the Bible portrays testing. Listen to this. Testing. The struggle you're going through. It's testing. In the Bible, testing means subjecting something to pressure to prove how strong it is. That's kind of what the, that's the, the, the idea of testing in the Bible. If you nerd out and go through the Greek and the, the Hebrew and, you know, do the word study, you'll see that's really what it means. You see, God expects faithfulness and obedience from you, 
even when it appears that it'll affect you negatively. That's called walking by faith. And so we base our decisions not on circumstances, not on feelings, but on the promises of God in the Bible that he gives us because he is sovereign over our circumstances. He's in control of them, right? Abraham forgot God's promise, and he acts selfishly. We do that the same, too. We um, don't we, I do this all the time. It's, again, it's just me. I'm just preaching to myself here. All right. We speak words when somebody doesn't live up to our expectations. I just let them know, you know, you, you dropped the ball big time. I expected you to do this, and you did this. I hurt people. I speak words of judgment that hurt people far more than they convince those people. Don't we do that? I think we all do that. Unwilling to admit my own failures. Yet the Bible says in Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. And it goes on a little more. It says, speak the truth in love so that you can grow up in Christ. Wow, so there's a promise that God gives. I'll know Christ more. Here's the promise. I'll know Christ. But there's a condition to get that promise, I have to speak the truth in love. Oh. There's a condition. I speak the truth in love. The promise is I get to know Christ more. See how that works? This is often how God works. We trust him. We do this condition, and we get to enjoy a promise as a result. This is not how, this is not how always God works, but this is how he works so often and this is how he's working in this passage. Let me give you another example. Um, oftentimes, again, I'm the only one who does this. Like, I'll be nice to people where I work in my day job. Or maybe I'll be nice to my next door neighbor. Not to be nice to them, but because I think I, I'm going to need a favor from that person sometimes. I better be nice to them. I better be on their good side. Totally selfish, just like Abram. Don't we do that? No, again, I'm the only one who does that. But the Bible says, I'm just kidding. All right, I'm just sorry. I love you guys. You're an awesome body of Christ. Mark 20, 12, 31 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's unconditional love. And Jesus goes on a little more and says, therefore, you'll prove that you'll be part of kingdom of God. Whoa. So the promise is I get to enjoy life in the kingdom of God, having this great relationship with God and experiencing the peace and joy of that. But the condition is, I need to love others unconditionally. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not act selfishly to people like I do. Oh, man. So there's a condition we do, and there's a promise that we enjoy afterwards. See how that works? You see the connection? If we trust God that he will fulfill his promise we must embrace that promise by obeying him today and walking obediently in faith today. Even if obeying him and walking in faith runs contrary to what you think will benefit you. Okay? Don't be like Abram. God's tr Maybe you're not sure what the promises that God has for your life. They're right here. They're right here in the Bible. Peace salvation, forgiveness, grace, um, hope, life, light, relationship. They're in here. And if we 
truly em- want to embrace those and say, yes, Lord, I know you have, you have restoration for me. You have healing for me, at least emotionally and spiritually. You have those things for me. They're in here. If we want to embrace them and believe that those promises are going to come, then today, right now, in your suffering, obey God. Act obediently. Trust him. Walk by faith. Knowing that the fulfillment of those promises in your life will come true. What's your struggle today? Following back on that question I keep asking you. Like me, you could probably use some peace in your life. Isaiah 26.3 says you keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Be obedient to God. What has God been telling you to do, even in your struggle? What sin has he been telling you to deal with? Be holy as God is holy. What step of faith do you need to take? Even in your struggle, do not deny yourself the joy of experiencing the peace of God's presence in your life by being selfish and wanting to hold on to control and not surrendering your future to him, not being obedient. Don't deny yourself the experience of his presence and his peace. Isaiah 26.3, you keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he or she trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for he's an everlasting rock. We base our decisions not on circumstances or on feelings, but on God's promises because he's in control of our circumstances. All right, I just got a couple more words. Um, But we, like Abraham, live in a very selfish, self-centered, self-focused culture. We're part of it. We participate in it. And so Abram walks, obviously walks in fear. He walks in doubt. He fails, right? He doesn't trust God. He puts his wife in jeopardy. His failure is undeniable. Abram, you blew it, dude. You blew it. But in verse 16, God blesses him, quote, unquote, with all this financial abundance. And it's like, what? Wait, wait, wait. wait. This guy who fails God, he fails the faith test. God still, like, hooks him up. Well, how does this work, man? It, is that how God works? Cowardly, selfish people get what they don't deserve? Yeah, that's how God's kingdom works. It is. God's grace is undeserved kindness. It's called grace. We just sang about it. The unbelievable, mind-boggling love of God. It's almost scandalous when you think about it. The people who don't deserve forgiveness get forgiven because of Christ. See, God gave all those wonderful things to Abraham, not because Abraham deserved it, but because God is gracious. And he does the same thing for us. I read a story from World War II. World War II story. I read a lot of stories. You know, pastors read all kinds of stories. And um, the Germans were fighting against the Allied forces, and the war was coming to an end. Germany could see that they were losing, but they didn't give up. And very sadly, at the end of the war, 
they were sending, all they had left were teenagers right out of training, you know, just young men. They were sending them to the front lines to fight against the allies, and they were, you know, just, they were dying at a really rapid rate. The whole thing was horrible. One of those German teenagers, his name was Karl Schleiser, and he wrote in his journal, he remembers a day from 1945. He's a young German teenager fighting against the American forces. Very powerful story. He says, I was in a battalion of 80 teenagers sent to the front line at the Rhine River after American forces had established a foothold on the East Bank. French units were coming, fresh units were coming across, Americans, and our orders were to stop them. It was bitter fighting. There was only 17 of us left, and we huddled in two-man foxholes ready to fight to the end. But on that morning, Amid the smoldering tanks and twisted bodies, there suddenly came an eerie silence, all quiet on the battlefield. It was broken by the voice of a single, unarmed American soldier, a Native American, who was walking calmly towards us, saying in a soft and a loud voice, a soft, still voice, come on out, come out now, it's over, come on out. An unarmed man. He knew that we had our guns pointed on him, but he kept coming. To have shot him would have seemed like murder wasn't right because he was not a threat. He just wanted us to give up. Come on out. Give up. And the German soldiers did just that. They dropped their weapons and surrendered. And this young man, Karl Schleiser, was overwhelmed. He couldn't believe it. He said, if that man had not come for us, we would be dead right now. We would have died in our fax holes. What he did was personal. He was not ordered to risk his life. I owe him my life. That soldier coming to his enemies, saying, come on out. Come out now. He risked his life. That's a very gracious thing that soldier did. That's called grace. And guess what? Jesus Christ is approaching you right now. He is approaching you, and he is telling you, uh, surrender. Surrender your life over to me. Now, whether you, you're a Christian or not, it's immaterial. Surrender everything over to me. Surrender your life, because I've already won everything. Christ has already earned our forgiveness. He's already earned our eternal life. That's called grace infinite grace that's available not just 2,000 years ago on the cross, but today. It's grace for today. That's how unbelievable, overwhelming his love is. In Jesus, you have all the grace Almighty God can give you if you will just embrace it and surrender control of your future today. John 1.16 says, for him, from Jesus, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You didn't deserve grace. I don't deserve grace. Abraham didn't deserve grace. But we have the fullest of God's grace in Jesus Christ. So in your suffering of today, won't you embrace the love of this man, Jesus, and trust that he is enough, that his grace is enough. Walk forward by faith. Walk forward obediently trusting that our Heavenly Father will accomplish good through this struggle. 
deal with sin in your life. This is where the rubber meets the road, brothers and sisters. Okay, there's something, Paul says in Romans 6, 15, he says, what then, are, are we going to sin because we're not under the law anymore, because we're under grace? By no means. Having been set free from sin, we have become slaves to righteousness. Okay? We want blessing without obedience. That, that's not how it works. We need to be obedient to God. How can we expect, expect blessing if we're acting selfishly and disobediently to what God tells us to do? All right? God's grace and love should motivate us to be obedient and live holy lives. Philippians 2.8 says Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Again, do, don't deny yourself the experience of God's grace by walking in disobedience and disbelief. And finally, you know, we, we're surrounded in a place. Abram was surrounded in um, Egypt and uh, in Canaan, in the promised land, with people who, didn't, who don't walk by faith. Now, and we, I'm not saying judge other people. I'm just saying we're often surrounded by people who are not going to encourage us to walk by faith. Walk by faith. Even if you're the only person in your family, in your work, in your city that walks by faith, walk by faith. Because God loves you, and he gave his life for you on the cross, and he's worth it just for who he is and what he's done for us. Trust that he's in control. God tests our faith, not to show how weak our faith is, but to show how faithful he is in our weakness. And therefore, we base our decisions not on our feelings or not on our circumstances, but on the word of God and on his promises, because he's that sovereign. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.